You're invited to join Anna and Sam at our new regional event, the Food and Faith Gathering. A collaboration between the Food and Faith podcast and the Keep and Till. On November 9th, 2019 at McDaniel College in Westminster, Maryland, you'll join congregations, practitioners, dreamers, and advocates as we discuss issues around food, ecology, community, and social justice. Head over to foodandfaithpodcast.org to register. Tickets are $25 each, which include breakfast and lunch. We'll be joined by Heber Brown, Karen Mann, Dave Baldwin, and Sam as speakers, along with a trip to the Keep and Tell Farm for lunch and for worship. And if you want to be a founding member of the Patreon supporters team for the pod by committing to give $5 a month, you can attend the gathering for free. So head over to foodandfaithpodcast.org slash gather to register. That's foodandfaithpodcast.org slash gather. We'll see you on November 9th at McDaniel College at the Food and Faith Gathering. Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Sam Chamlin and Anna Wuffenden. Food and Faith podcast listeners. It's Anna here solo today. Um, Sam is off doing some of his other work, but I am so glad to not be having a conversation with myself instead to be having a conversation with Leslie Werner, who is a fellow Herald Press author. So we connected with that before hitting the recording um, and has just come out with a wonderful book, which I've had the pleasure to be reading over the last month or so called Invited the power of hospitality in an age of loneliness. And we felt like she would be a wonderful guest for our show and our listeners as we speak about food and faith and how hospitality so often includes a food element. So Leslie, we're thrilled to have you on the pod today. Thank you, Anna. It's fun to talk with you. Excellent. So we're going to start off with the question we always ask our guests. And I apologize to our guests. I'm going to keep saying we because I'm used to having a co-host. So, <laughs> so they have Sentia. Um, and this question is asking what about to tell us about your geography, to tell us about the things that formed you, the places, the land, the food, the people, and, and maybe specifically how that geography brought you to the point of re- writing this book and being interested in this topic of hospitality. Okay. Um, Well, I've lived in three different corners of the country. Um, And so over the years, those three places have shaped me, which I'll talk about in a second. And then I've also lived in China and the the food there has shaped me a lot. But um, I grew up in Florida and, you know, I, as far as food goes, my mom is from Georgia. And so, and then, you know, Florida is this weird, um, state that's not really the south but it is the south and so there's a lot of southern influence there Um, but then with my mom being from Georgia I feel like I've been pretty influenced by um, southern food and I feel like I personally haven't really noticed um, that the places that I've lived in the food where I've lived has a culture until I leave that place Uh and then I, I no longer can get like key lime pie or Cuban sandwiches or you know what I mean and then 
you know, I moved to Chicago and it, it wasn't really until I left there that I was like, oh, the, the pizza, the, the hot dogs, right. the, you know, and then now we're in Colorado, which I feel like, what is the food in Colorado? Uh, exactly. Um, and where we are now is it's actually a lot of breweries. So there's like a big like beer culture here. Um, so that's been interesting to try to learn. Like, I'm like, I, you know, I knew like one kind of beer that I liked before I moved here. And so I've slowly been trying to branch out of like, maybe it's not just Blue Moon that I like, <laughs> maybe I actually like other kinds. So um, anyway, and then when I lived in China, um, I lived in China for five years. And I feel like the two main things that we talked about in China, when I, as I was learning Chinese and I would meet people on the street or I would be invited to people's house, that people like to talk about money and they like to talk about food. And so it was just always, and I would even, you know, eavesdrop about, you know, eavesdrop on conversations and like people would often be talking about food. Like there is a deep, deep love of preparing food and eating around the table and eating around, you know, round tables with lazy Susans, you know, to turn. And um, yeah, it's a huge food culture. And even within China, I had no idea until I moved there that, you know, the North eats a certain kind of Chinese food and then the South eats a, kind, a certain kind of Chinese food. Um, you know, Hong Kong has a different kind, you know, it's very regional. And so where I lived was a lot of um, spicy food and a lot of noodles. So they would like hand make noodles and um, they would have like, I think they said they would have, I can't remember. It's been 10 years now since I lived there, but they would eat, I think it was noodles for dinner and rice for lunch, or I might have it flipped, uh -huh. but they would kind of alternate those two, like either rice or noodles and some sort of like saucer, you know, meat, um, stir fried. And anyway, I love the food where I lived was so good because I love spicy food. So, so it was a good um, connection piece there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers the question, but, um, I, I, it's taught me about culture, you know, to just think like, Oh wait, like this region does, even in the United States, I think we don't yeah. always think like, like we have a culture, but even within the different states, it's like each state does have its unique culture. And now I'm like, I used to think Tampa, which is where I'm from, from was so boring. And now look, especially as a writer is I'm starting to kind of explore more about like the specifics of a place, like what kind of trees were there? What kind of food was there? I'm like, oh my gosh, Tampa was not boring at all. Like there was, there was so many interesting things happening, but I just didn't notice them because I was living there. I yeah. took it for granted. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's such a piece. Maybe it's a spiritual life in general too, but this, the, no, actually the practice of noticing changes mm -hmm. everything. Right. <laughs> and and I, I resonate with that. Like sometimes it's not until I leave a place that I realize even for myself, what the food culture was, you know, like, yeah. Oh, what was available there and what wasn't, or, yeah. you know, how do you, what you sometimes what you miss is what you what shows you <laughs> what was yeah, there right you're like oh wait I can't get that anymore right not, yeah 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 it was accessible or not yeah mm -hmm. well so tell us out of I know that part of um your story in Invited came out of your time living in China and travel but also the I, the experience of going to new places and moving to places where you didn't have community and maybe didn't mm -hmm. have that experience of hospitality for yourself and extending it to others was, was a way of finding it. Um, mm -hmm. So what led you to writing this book? What, what, what was the hunger inside you that, that mm -hmm. brought this book into the world? Um, well, I think it was a lot of the things that we've already touched on, but um, I really thought that, that I was going to live in China forever. And, um, 
I, that was kind of the plan. I went when I was 25, I, or 26, I guess, and I studied Chinese. Um, I, I mean, it was kind of a distant dream to get married and have children, but I was very driven. So I was just like, no man's going to get in my way. <laughs> and so, but God was like, oh yeah, Actually. <laughs> I'm going to blindside you and I'm gonna fall in love accidentally. So, um, so I, I wasn't really planning on moving back to the States. Um, but it was kind of time for a home leave. And so, and I had met this man and it just seemed like good timing. And so almost before I realized it, I was back in Chicago, you know, got married within a year and then we had children pretty soon after. And so there was a lot of transition in my life. And, um, I think, I mean, as a general rule, like that's, that's like a time of loneliness is when you are going through a transition, um, whether you're single or married or have children, you know, I think, kind of no matter what, it, it can lend itself to being lonely. But I think um, after experiencing so much hospitality in China and kind of even, I got my master's while I was there in intercultural studies. So I like the noticing, I was like noticing a lot more about culture. So just coming back to the States, I started wondering about the church and if, you know, what would happen if we implemented some of the the things that I saw working um, with the culture in China surrounding hospitality, like what would that look like if we brought that into the church and into just Western society in general, not even just the church, but um, because I, I felt like people invited me over so frequently and I was a total stranger to them and they would just welcome me to their house. And, um, and like you said, I, I also found it by inviting people into my own house, you know, other strangers. And, and a lot of that was my, my unique situation. I mean, I was a teacher. Um, I had more downtime. But um, so then once we moved from Chicago to Colorado, we kind of continued to experience that loneliness of like, how do we fit? And at that point, we had two kids. Um, and so, yeah, so I think... I think it was those transitions that and maybe that loneliness that started leading me to ask like what what impact would just becoming more hospitable have on not just our family but like our society um, as a whole if we instead of waiting for invitations or waiting for community to happen like what if we start inviting first yeah so um, one of my um, good friends and a friend of the pod and um, fellow author, Kendall Vanderslice, wrote a book about dinner churches. And she actually just tweeted recently this um, noticing that people were always talking to her about loneliness. I mean, there are a lot of things with her book that you could talk about. You could talk about reimagining the church. You could talk about food. You, I mean, but that loneliness was this, this universal conversation. Mm -hmm. And it feels like one of those things that um, so many people share and yet we maybe are reticent to talk about or to admit. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I really appreciated in your book was your own transparency about your own loneliness mm -hmm. and your honesty about that. Um, and I just wonder if you're willing, if, you know, be it share some of the things you shared in the book or other mm -hmm. things that are, are alive for you. Um, how, what did that look like and feel like? And you're probably referring to the story at the very beginning um, when we attended a church and no one spoke to us. Um, you know, the communion was kind of off in the corner. So like even during that time, 
like you couldn't make a connection with a human being. It was like you had to kind of wander over by yourself and um, take communion. And yeah, we had, we, so when we first came here, we visited, um, within three years, we visited 18 churches. Wow. And yeah, and it ended up being more than that because it wasn't until after about three years that we settled in. And we did commit to two different churches for a year each. So it's not like we were just always visiting. Um, but sometimes it takes a little while to be a part of a church um, until you kind of really know if it's, you know, your, the church culture that you need to be in. But um, yeah, so that was very lonely, like just showing up to churches, not knowing people and um, not feeling connected. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you, it's hard to feel connected if you don't know anybody. Um, and through that time, I, I started just noticing that even when we would invite people over, people wouldn't invite us back. Mm -hmm. Or um, I, I started just kind of thinking through, not that I was keeping track. It, it wasn't until about three years when I was writing this book that I was like, who actually did invite us over? And I asked my son, and um, this is also in the book, but I asked him, I said, can you think of anybody like that's invited us over? And he was like, oh, our Iranian friends. Like he started listing off these people that were all people from other countries that had invited us over. They yeah. were, they were, you know, international students living here that invited us over to their, you know, pretty bare bones apartments because they're just here for a few years. And so they don't need to buy a ton of stuff. You know, we would literally like drink juice out of mugs and the kids would sit on the floor because there weren't enough chairs. And, you know, it was just, they may do because it was more about the relationships, but I was like, that's so strange and not that strange too. You know, that like yeah. we've been invited over more often by our international friends than we have by other Americans that we've met. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to like shame anyone, even in writing this book, because there's plenty of times when I'm like, I just don't have the energy to invite people over. Or I, I, I think often we just don't think about it. You know, yeah. I think, um, for me personally, if I'm not intentional about maybe keeping a list of people I want to invite over or reserving a night a week or a night a month, I think it just doesn't happen, yeah. I, you know, because we're such a planner society. Even people who are more spontaneous, I think, do like to plan. I think we need to plan for maybe what could be uncomfortable time, you know, but, yeah. but I've also noticed that we only feel uncomfortable until somebody walks in our door and then we're, then it's not uncomfortable. It's not, we're it's not just fine. Yeah. yeah. It's at least for me, the anxiety is always like pre arrival stress, you know, and then it's once people are here, I enjoy them so much. And once they leave, I'm so glad it happened. You know? Yeah. I think if we can just get over that initial hump of like, okay, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to, I'm going to feel anxious. I'm going to feel nervous. What if they don't feel comfortable? You know, all the things that we think about and maybe not everyone's like this, but um, I am. Um, if I can just get over that, then I know that I'm going to love it and enjoy the people. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, I think that practical side feels very real to me. I mean, I moved a lot in the last few years. I mean, in the last decade, but particularly the last few years. And I just have to actually put it in my planner and yeah. as a family to be figure out like, who is it that we want to make sure that we invite over? Mm -hmm. um, and we actually, it's a, something similar that you just mentioned and um, Courtney Ellis mentioned it in her book, Uncluttered, this idea of actually having a night a week that's just reserved. And 
Mm-hmm. My spouse and I tried that last year, and it wasn't that we always had someone over on Thursday night, but at least mm-hmm. we knew on our calendar that we could even spontaneously invite someone over and that, you know, yep. we'd text each other to make sure that we didn't, but even if we both invited somebody over, fine, <laughs> but yep. we had that as a family, like, we will block this off. We know that we're not scheduling other things over that. Um, yep. And that intentionality helped a lot. It meant that at least we had somebody over every couple weeks rather than not at all, you know? Yeah. Um, so I yeah, wonder if, I, you, yeah, go ahead. No, I love that. I mean, I think, and I think if we don't reserve that time or space, we're just going to fill it. It's kind of like if you have an empty space in your house, you know, you might move into a house or someplace that's a little bit bigger and you have an extra closet and you're like, oh, let's keep it, you know, empty. It will inevitably get full you know, of something else. And so I think it's the same with our schedules. If we don't reserve that time, then we're going to fill it with other activities or TV or I don't know. Yeah. So I think it's one way of working with our culture and just acknowledging, you know what, we're not going to change our whole culture. We're not just going to suddenly become spontaneous. And I know different personalities are different. I mean, I, I am more spontaneous than my husband is, but, um, but I, you know, in China too, I, I, I talked about this a little bit, like I was constantly stood up because I tried to plan too far in advance Right. With students and they weren't used to planning things. They would plan like a day in advance or the day right. of, but I would plan for myself and I would say, I'm going to go to dinner in two weeks with this student. And then I wouldn't ask them till the day before, Right. I already planned it out, you right. know? Right. And I think we can do that in our own culture too. We could be like, okay, I'm going to invite this family over in, you know, October, but we don't have to ask them until two weeks before or something, but I'm just going to go ahead in my head, like prepare myself mentally to know I'm having people over because it's so worth it. (laughs) Yeah. And make it that priority. (laughs) Yeah. But if it's not prioritized, I don't think it's not going to like naturally happen unless, I mean, I do have a few friends that will call us, but we're so planned that they call us the day of and we're like, we can't, you know, we just, so I think you, if you ever want to have your friends who are more planned out to come over, you have to work with it, with them too. Yeah, so to be available that way. Um, yeah. So the intentionality is one of the things that I definitely pulled out. Another piece was this idea of, which I feel like gets a little more to the heart of um, some of our barriers of who we invite into our homes and um, your story of who you've actually invited to come and live in your home, um, I think is a really powerful wrestling of what it means to be faithful. Um, and I wonder specifically if you could talk about how your faith and how your Christian faith has challenged you to ask some of those questions and how to open up your home in different ways. I, you know, I spent the year that I wrote this book, I just kept reading um, the gospels especially Luke and um, just all the stories where Jesus welcomes strangers and um, eats with tax collectors and goes to Zacchaeus. And, you know, I felt like Jesus was always looking for kind of people on the fringes. And as I examined my own life, um, I even, you know, draw, drew some circles and I was like, who, you know, how, what does my own life look, life look like? And, you know, in the center is my husband and my kids and then, you know, some of my family and my neighbors and my friends. And when I get out here to the people that are actually on the fringes, I'm like, I don't have the capacity left mm-hmm. for people in those spaces where Jesus hung out. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I really have wrestled with that. Um, and yet I feel like 
God has shown me that through different seasons and stages of life that can become, our circles can become wider or narrower. And there's, um, there's so much freedom in that too. Um, I shared a story about the Jericho road and how I was, I was reading about the, the good Samaritan, which I think probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with that story, but, um, you know, just thinking about how the Samaritan was on this road and he didn't have to go over veer over to all these other roads to see somebody that, that God wanted him to help. And so I, I'm very tempted to be like, Oh, I should be, I should be visiting the jail or I should be teaching an ESL class or I should, you know, it's like all these things that I want to do to, you know, change the world. And right now my, I mean, my kids are two, four and six years old. Um, only one is in school full time. Um, we can't afford to put them into care the rest of the yeah. time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm pretty like limited to like where I can go with these two small people that are, I mean, my son just went back to school today. So, um, and so I can't be like bouncing around to all these other places. And yet I, one day when I was running, I felt like God was like, stay on your Jericho road, Leslie, like yeah. just pay attention. Like who is already there? Yeah. And, um, you know, yesterday we went to, this is not to like toot my own horn, but just for an example, like we went, we were going to go to a river for the last day of school. And, and this neighbor girl walked over, she's 12. And, um, I was, she I kind of felt like, you know what, I should invite her. And then I'm like, but that's more complicated. Here if it's just me, you know, like it's just this internal wrestling of like, here sure. if it's just me and my kids. Then I'm like, but she's on my Jericho road, you know, like yeah. it was just kind of that. So I invited her, um, cause her, you know, she, she's like, yeah, we don't go out very much. And, um, and I was just like, I need to invite her. And so she came with us, but she's like literally on my road where I live. Yes, you know? like, like, really, <laughs> so it's not just this conceptual thing. It's like, who is like actually on your little literal road sometimes yeah. in seasons yeah. of life. And she came with us and it was wonderful. And my kids enjoyed her and, you know, here she's almost 13. She was digging in the dirt with my kids being, you know, it just, it was so wonderful. And so I was like, I'm always glad I invited, you know, yeah. like I'm never like, oh, I really wish I had never invited them over or invited them to do this thing. Like that's never the regret. It's usually the regret that like, oh, I should have just done it even though it was harder, you know? And it really wasn't, it wasn't even harder. It was just my own, so whatever. <laughs> so. Well, I feel like that little bit, that's, that's like the work of hospitality, right? Yep. Is saying, okay, this might be a little uncomfortable or a little more work or even just my own mental block, but do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think there's times in life when we do need to get out of our own bubble and, you know, I certainly find people who are very different from us because I, I mean, like I live in a very like white area. Um, if I want to see people that have color of skin different than me, I can't just stay where I am. Like I, sure. I need to be other places at other times, you know? So I, I think there's something to be said for getting out of your own comfort zone, but often it doesn't take that much. You know, it's, it's probably someone living on your street yeah. that you, that you could invite and you don't have to go too far. I mean, I don't have to go driving an hour away to yeah. find someone that maybe God wants me to invite into my life or that, or for someone for me to learn their story. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just often struck by, and maybe this is f from moving 
often that um, when, you know, say love your neighbor as yourself, it's easy for us to talk about loving neighbors more metaphorically and generally. And I'm all for that. Like, yes, the immigrants are our neighbors and the people who are even those bigger groups. But also sometimes I feel like God has just kind of smacked me on the side of the face and been like, but literally the person living next door with those yappy yeah. dogs, right. <laughs> like those are the ones, that's yeah. your neighbor to love right. or like literally like when you start feeling shy as you're walking down the street and you see somebody like to go over and hold out your hand and be like, hi, I'm your new neighbor. Yeah. Um, and that that kind of work, which I am guilty of yeah. being, you know, going into the fear place and not doing it as well as being rewarded when I've done it um, yep. is is actually of worth and value as well. And yeah. whether it's, and it's that, that practice. And if I can't do it on my own block, yeah, am I going to do it when I'm in a, you know, higher stakes situation? Well, and that's why any listeners who have just moved, it's so much easier to do it right away. Cause if yeah. you wait longer, it becomes awkward. Cause you're yeah. like, I live next door to this person for two years and we've never spoken. Like, why would I start now? Like it might feel a little, so I I think when we're the new person, it's actually to our advantage Um, because yeah, I think that's the time to do it. And then, but but not let that hold you back either. I mean, we had, you know, we've had get togethers with our neighbors that have lived on the same street for 25 years and never met each other, you know? And just cause we, had them over in our backyard, they met, you know, and they weren't like, Oh, they weren't angry at each other. And they had no bad feelings. It was just like, it just, nobody had provided a space for them to meet each other. Mm. Um, so I think that said, even if it's been a while, I think you could still have kind of a low stakes gathering, um, just a barbecue in your backyard. And I mean, we do have plenty of neighbors who have we've invited them and invited them and they never come to anything. So it's like, you kind of have to just be like, well, <laughs> right. That's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, we've met other people who, and like I said, they, they had never even met each other. I'm like, how can that be? But life is busy. And like I said, yeah, the intentionality. I mean, if, if you're not intentional about it, then it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I loved your story at the end about the block party and, you know, people just coming together and, and yeah, be like, oh, I didn't know you and I've lived on the same block yeah. for many years, yeah. which I think is also like an invitation to any of us. Because I think another thing that I think sometimes happens maybe more within more established communities like a church is that we think it's someone else's responsibility to do these mm. things. Yeah. Or it's like, well, shouldn't the organization throw the party? It's mm-hmm. like, well, you really could have a block party just open up your yard or front porch or <laughs> garage or whatever um and that it's not a special doesn't say a special talent or special yeah. official people to bring together community in that way no i totally agree and that's i think that's one of the disadvantages of like ministries and churches because it's yeah it almost like takes the responsibility away from your average person to be involved in this thing that's actually something that we're all called to do. You know, yeah. I mean, hospitality is not a special gift reserved for the few people that know how to throw a dinner party. I mean, it's, it's for all of us. And yeah. I think we can, we all benefit when we start accepting that and living into that. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about food and hospitality for a bit, since this is the Food and Faith podcast. Um, 
So um, I think that hospitality and food often go hand in hand. And, you know, if you want to throw a good party meeting event, whatever, like you have to have food. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think it often can be a barrier for us doing anything in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd be interested in your reflections on how to use food in a um, intentional way, but also, you know, how do you make it accessible? Um, to yourself to do it in the first place. Or. So I, um, before I had kids, I really enjoyed cooking and I would like get, ma- get like cooking light magazine and clip, you know, recipes out and try them out and put them in this special binder. And, um, when we were first married, I think my husband was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so lucky. I- <laughs> <laughs> and then I had children did he know. <laughs> um, and I put it in front of them and they're like, yeah, so it kind of just takes the wind out of your sails. <laughs> so people that you make food for don't want to eat it. Plus I'm just tired and the kids are screaming when I'm making dinner and whatever. It's, so it's, it's not the is- relaxing creative thing in the same no. way. <laughs> so living in Colorado, when I moved here, you know, we had two kids um, and then we had our third. So the people that know me here know me as a mom. They don't, you know, I didn't get married till I was almost 32. So I had many years of cooking and inviting people over and, And so my friend recently said something, oh, she was having a birthday party for her daughter. I said, do you want me to bring anything? And she said, no, I'm going to do it Leslie style. Um, Or she said, I'm going to do it your way, which is Costco style. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) You're like, but I am somebody who cooks. Yeah, like, this is my reputation now. (laughs) Costco style. But like, totally, that's, I've just kind of given up and just been like, you know what, if we have to have paper plates, I hate killing the earth, but if it means I don't have people over because I need to do dishes for hours, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, in my book, we talk, I talk about like, you know, air on the side of community, like, you know, so I'm like, if, if it means that I can have more people in my home or just have one or two people in my home because I'm not killing myself to make a meal, I'm just going to pop popcorn, you know, yeah. on my stove, or I'm just going to go to Costco and get some frozen appetizers or, yeah. you know, a veggie plate or, you know, like, so I think just allowing yourself to cut corners is a way to have more um, relationships. It sounds weird, but, <laughs> no. you know, cause it's, I think, yeah, if you prioritize the people, right? Well, yeah. Otherwise you're going to dread having people over if it's so stressful that you're spending hours cooking and then hours cleaning. And if you don't enjoy that or have any time or space in your already busy schedule, I mean, just do the easy thing because yeah. people don't care. I mean, they, I mean, they appreciate it. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like if, if someone is going to go to the trouble and cook me a beautiful meal and set a beautiful table, like I, I will appreciate that, but I don't expect it. And when you come away from it, I think that's not what really feeds your soul is, you know, it's the, it's the, the, the conversation and the connections. So, um, Yeah. So I don't know. I think in this stage of life, I've just let it go. And I've just been like, I think food is important though. I think that anytime I show show up at a gathering and there's not food there, I'm like, Oh, people are missing out on opportunity. (laughs) You know, I just think it really adds this element, even if it's just, you know, a bag of Oreos or, you know, some yeah popcorn that you popped on the stove or 
you know, I think it is important, but it doesn't have to be anything fancy, especially if it depletes you of energy and you don't have any energy left for people. So, so anyway, I guess I'm Costco style. Yeah. Well, but you have people over to your house, so. There you go. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's why I do it. I mean, and it doesn't even have to be, I mean, you could go. I don't know, other places, because like Costco, I end up spending too much money and then I feel guilty. <laughs> so you can do it on like cheaper than Costco. Right. Well, I think that's another thing that it can get expensive to entertain mm-hmm. under a certain level of expectation and to be able to yeah. be, be generous, but also responsible to one's grocery budget. And yeah, um, sometimes it takes a different level of of creativity and like humility of like, Hey, come on over. I made soup, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, or I made this one thing. What can you bring? You know, yeah, I mean, right. perfectly fine to have. Yeah. Sometimes I prefer to have a potluck. Um, because I, I think that that adds like another level of buy-in to the, to the gathering is when yeah. someone literally brings something. So I, I like, I, I do like potluck style, but Sometimes I also don't want that to keep people away. So sometimes I'm afraid that if I make it that way, there's going to be people that don't want to come. Right. Because they feel too stressed about bringing something. So I'm like, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I'll just take care of whatever. Well, what else do you want listeners to know about Invited and why obviously they should go order it right now (laughs) and read it and read it with their book studies or Bible studies? great um, ideas for conversation and discussion and reflection in there. Yeah. Um, I think, so this book, I really wanted people to read it and not feel guilty. Um, That was kind of my goal (laughs) because I've read other books in as, especially, I don't know if it's as women or as a mom or as a human being, I don't know, but I can tend to be like, I'm going to read this. I'm going to feel guilty that I'm not doing enough or whatever. Um, And so I didn't, I didn't want people to feel that. And so I was pretty upfront in the book about my own struggles. Um, but then I did want to challenge people to take it to a level, you know, that maybe takes them out of their comfort zone. And um, even if it's just a simple invitation to one person or, you know, more frequently than any of us are doing it now, which sometimes it's zero, you know, so maybe it's once a year or once every three months or, you know, just something. Um, but I also do want to make space for people who are maybe more introverted and um, or married to introverts. I've heard that a lot. Um, people are like, I want to have people over, but my husband doesn't or my wife. Or I think that's a good conversation to have too. Like, what does hospitality look like to your personality? And, um, you know, so, so sometimes I, I think that we feel like, oh, we should be having, you know, three families over every week. And, but it, it doesn't have to look like that. It can be like one person. Um, and it doesn't even have to be at your house. I mean, you could go, you could sit in your front yard. You could, you could meet at a coffee shop. You can, um, yeah. So I, I think it's important to expand the definition of hospitality, um, and take away the, um, the stigma that the word has, there's a lot of people that looked at me and were like, oh, if you use that in the title, like, I don't even want to read the book because there's just <laughs> this, like some people either love it or they're just like, no, the word hospitality. Yeah. And so, and yet I kind of, I still wanted to use it just in the subtitle because I feel like I want to see it redeemed because yeah. it's so important. Um, 
And in the Bible, the word hospitality means love of strangers. It doesn't mean love and welcome all your friends and family and have a, a huge party. That's not what it means. It means love of strangers. So I just kind of wanted to crack open a little bit of that word and what that could look like if we started implementing that in our, you know, in our homes and in our churches and our communities and neighborhoods. Um, and I think that if we started inviting, I think it could really transform where we live and the relationships that we have. Well, that might um, tie into the question that we always end the podcast with, which is what brings you hope? And like mm-hmm. to look at that idea of hope, um, not necessarily in that kind of, oh, it's all, it's all clean and pretty kind of, yeah. way, but that deeper hope. Um, and yeah. I, I wonder if you, whether you build off of what you just shared or if there's something else that, that brings you hope. I mean, it's such a big question. There's a lot of things that bring me hope. So, um, pick I mean, one or two. Yeah, right? I know. I was like, uh, <laughs> um, so as a given, I think, you know, knowing Jesus gives me hope and, you know, all of, all of that. But, um, but as far as this book goes, um, you know, I think I started even writing the book, having less hope in Western society. And I finished the book having more hope in Western mm-hmm. society. And so, you know, I, cause I started, I, you know, uh, those of you who aren't writers, like I, I had to plan the book before I wrote the book. Uh, I had, I only had only written two chapters. And so I think I thought it was going to go a certain direction and it ended up going a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think that if, you know, we implemented a lot of, you know, Eastern cultural values of like, which are, is more ingrained hospitality um, and more communal ways of living. Um, I'm not saying that's always good, but um, there's some advantages to just even having that mindset. Um, I think that we can still learn from all the different cultures can learn from each other. Um, and yet I, as I look around and I see my neighbors and I'm getting to know people, I'm seeing the value of kind of even just committing to a place and being available to people around us. Like it's, I think that regardless of where you live, if you just do those things, um, you will start to have more community. And um, so I think that it's the deeper questions um, maybe became more simple and uh, are the solutions, I guess, to those questions became more simple as I explored the concept of hospitality. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, throughout the book, I've, I share a lot of different stories about how other people, even within my own culture, have shown me hospitality. Yeah. And so um, it's not without hope. You know, I think people who study culture can start feeling like, oh, it's hopeless. We're all, you know, we're attached to our phones all the time. We're too individualistic or we're too, you know, we have too much privacy. We have too much, you know, too many barriers. But I think we're still human beings and we're still, we're still spiritual beings. And so I think that um, we're not without hope, you know, in the West. And so, yeah. So I hadn't thought of that before you asked me. (laughs) That's, oh, that's beautiful. And I think that that is such a great note to end on in terms of the, the invitation that your book and that your writing and that your stories give is you don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all perfectly. Mm-hmm. to be able to be hospitable, to reach mm-hmm. out, to invite, and that it is 
in our willingness to do that and to notice that that comes both hope and transformation of people and communities. Yep. Well, so where can people find you, find your book, find your writing? Um, people can find me if they go to scrapingraisins.com. So that's my strange blog name um, that I'm not changing. <laughs> Until that must be a good story. Well, it's so funny. You probably know everybody says you should call your blog your name. That's the like, I don't know, responsible writerly thing to do. But um, I figure people who's gonna remember Leslie Verner, but they might remember scraping raisins. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's just um, it's funny. I came up with a name really fast, and I now I'm like, oh great. Um, It's kind of the so I often go running and. that's when I get my best ideas is when I go running. So, or I'm walking or something like that. And so I think I, I came up with the name when my kids were little, like even smaller. And so I was maybe giving them raisins a lot, but it just reminds me of the little raisin boxes. If, when you like tip them up and then you got to like scrape. Oh, yeah, scrape <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but like, that's like my thoughts. And those little, those last thoughts don't really come out until I'm running. And then I run inside and I look to like write them down I have to write these eight blog posts or, eight, you know, eight essays or um, not that I get to them, but that's, that's where great. It's great. Yeah. Reasons. I've always wondered when I've seen your handle. I know. Everyone's <laughs> like, that's a great story. <laughs> one, um, one blogger called me the raisin lady. She's like, the raisin lady. Oh, you're that raisin lady. Like, yes, yes, I am. Okay. So scrapingraisins.com. And then it, and, actually, if people sign up for my newsletter, um, they can get the first chapter of my book for free, uh, for a while. And, um, but also there's a tab that leads you to my book and some of my other articles and things like that. Right. And I'm sure they can find invited the power of hospitality in an age of loneliness, all the places you buy books. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time today. Yeah. It was so fun. And congratulations on launching the book. And we hope that um, any of our listeners will read it. And more importantly, that we'll, continue to create culture of hospitality and inviting. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep Until. Music is by Paul Diemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.